if you'll stand this evening and uh, turn to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. Appreciate that singing. Somebody put on Facebook them little girls singing. They're coming. Just they just used that so she can hear. I'll just switch over here. Let's look at First uh, Kings chapter eighteen verse thirty. This is something about a week ago um, that the Lord laid on my heart. I started thinking about, and it was just. Um, it was a scripture and it was a thought and uh, I remember the story back in the Old Testament and I feel like that's where the Lord's got us this, uh, this evening and uh, we'll look uh, for just a little bit at something I feel like maybe is timely especially for the uh, new year that we can take home with us and hopefully the Lord will help um, establish in our lives if it's not a priority that it will become a priority. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, and uh, the word of the Lord says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And then on down in verse 37, Elijah prays, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. For just a little bit, I want to share with you, just feel like what the Lord's laid on my heart for this time of year, for this particular day, um, just a title and a thought of rebuilding the altar. Rebuilding the altar. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I ask Brother Greg if he would pray for us this evening, Brother Greg. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> There's been a, a recent picture going around um, on Facebook. However, many of you um, in, in treat that I, I do, and I try to keep up with folks, and uh, mostly brothers and sisters and old friends I don't get to see, and and we have law enforcement feeds on there, and the sheriff has feed on there, and I'm I'm looking at his uh, feed quite often as it's given out some public announcements, but there's been something going around, I'm sure most of you have seen it, and it's a picture of a Bible, and, and it says the answer to all of the world's problems, Holy Bible, and that's true. And I'd add to that maybe that 
if every person could have an altar in their life, spiritually speaking, physically speaking, if every person would return to the practice of prayer and pray like men ought to pray, the scripture says, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, but pray unto God the way that we as, it's, it's a thousand one or is it wasn't mine? Because mine buzzed up here a while ago, and mine's subject to buzz, and I apologize for that, but I keep it close just in case. Um, but if we would just find prayer again, like we really need to find it, you know, this world would be a absolutely different place. You know, and I don't know what the, the ratio of Christians, believers versus non-believers are, but I would dare say that if the church, which is the only people that can pray, but if the church would get serious about prayer, myself included, get very serious about returning to seasons of prayer and a practice of prayer and a daily time of prayer, and as I told you the other night, I pray, I do pray a lot, but I pray on the move. I pray on the go. And that's just the way it is with me. A lot of times I'm trying to find uh, other times to, to settle down and pray. But if we would just pray like the Word of God and the Lord instructs us to pray, and pray as the Lord prayed, but if we would just, you know, even if it was nothing more, if we could all start out as the church worldwide, five minutes, just five minutes, if everybody would pray five minutes a day, and maybe increase on that. What of a change that we'd see in the world in which we live. The circumstances surrounding this scripture, as we know the story about Elijah, we know the story about what's fixing to happen, we're going to read it, and it's not so much the story or the context or the history of where they find themselves at, even though I need to explain it to you for just a minute, that we're going to preach on this evening, but we're simply going to think on the thought of rebuilding the altar. But here where uh, the writer is, is talking about and Elijah is calling upon the Lord to hear his prayer after he has repaired the altar and built the altar out of 12 stones according to every tribe of the, of the children of Israel. What has happened here is Israel, the northern kingdom, they find themselves in, under the reign of the seventh king, Ahab. They find themselves in a very desperate situation. I look back a little bit on history. I've got a chronological Bible. I love it. Absolutely love the chronological Bible. It goes back to when in the beginning, of course, Genesis, and it just goes through chronologically as the scripture was written and things happened. But I just went back just to see how quick it was after Adam and Eve and then after Cain and Abel that I could find trouble in the history of the people of God. And about every story that you find that the Bible introduces into uh, the, the Scripture, something happens in a negative connotation that, that pulls the people of God away from the Lord. They choose to uh, do something that is totally against the will of God and, and totally against the commandments of God. And they find themselves in a situation or in a consequence or in a desperate situation, just like Israel found their self healed. We remember the story, if we look back in uh, First and Second Samuel, how 
uh, the, the children of Israel, they wanted a king. Samuel had led them. He was a, he was a priest and a, 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 um, a prophet, and he, he uh, judged the nations and judged the nation Israel. But when his children came along and he got old, they did that which was evil inside the Lord. They perverted judgment. And so they wanted a king, and even though it was not God's will for them to have a king, he says, I'm going to give them the desire of their heart. But Samuel, I want you to protest and tell them this is not what is, is in their best interest. So seven kings later, after the first king, of course, we know Saul, they find themselves under the influence of King Ahab. And if we look back in chapter, uh, I believe it is 16 and verse 33, we'll see exactly what kind of king Ahab was. It says, and in the 30, let's go to the 29th verse, and in the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 20 and 2 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And if you look at all the kings before uh, Ahab, there might have been one, but I think pretty much every one of them, maybe except with the exception of one, done evil, done that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. But it says about Ahab, says he did evil on the side of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So we see that the children of Israel who asked for kings, who got what they wanted, they find themselves seven generations, if you will, later under the influence of a man leading a holy nation that did more to provoke God to anger than any king or any person before him. What does that bring about? Well, if you look at the history of what Ahab did, Ahab married Jezebel. She was a Phoenician, I believe, by nationality. And he had went outside of his own kind to marry, which was not, uh, which was not okay with the Lord at that time. Of course, we know by the very name, Jezebel, of how evil that this lady was because this lady was responsible for the killing of the prophets, which Ahab idly sat by and let happen. But what that did for them, what it done for their nation, is when he married into that people and made an alliance with those people, Jezebel's people, it brought on financial prosperity. It brought on a stability between these two uh, entities, countries, if you will, places to where they felt secure in the relationship they had. They were economically stable. They had become sound economically. And with the luxury of money, became not having money, but with the luxury of having the money, and you would say, I guess, the love of money, became a lot more temptations or a lot more things that they were not used to that they began to dabble in. If we allow things to creep up in our lives that are not pleasing to the Lord or a thing to take more of a precedent than the Lord in our life, then that is when 
we will get in trouble. It's very easy for somebody that has little to nothing to be able to serve God and serve Him acceptably with godly fear and reverence, the Scripture says, rather than sometimes a man or a woman, boy or girl, that is distracted by the things that this world has to offer. See, the enemy has a plan. And his plan is, is that if he can get your eyes and your focus off of the Lord and get it on something else, something to occupy your time, something to occupy your interest, something to occupy your passion, then when you do that, you have taken your eyes, and listen, you have taken your worship and your focus and your lordship off of where it should be, which is on the throne of God, the throne of Christ, and you have placed it on something which has your attention other than Jesus Christ, and so we should. So Israel finds herself in a drought. God speaks to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1 or 16, and he tells Elijah to go tell Ahab that he's fixing to go into a season of drought. And we look in chapter 17 and verse 1, and it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Right after Elijah tells Ahab this, God instructs Elijah to go away, to get thee hence in verse 3 of the same chapter and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And do you know that for three years, according to the word of the Lord, that Elijah stayed hidden and did not present himself to anyone other than who the Lord told him to present himself at the time and then at the appointed time he shows himself again to King Ahab here in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 7 and 8 we're fixing to look at. Israel had turned their back on God. They had invited along with Ahab, listen, the practice of worshiping Baal, Baal worship. And not only had they invited Baal worship into their religious uh, spectrum, if you will, but they had kept the God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on the horizon as a God to still worship, coexisting, if you will, along with Baal, along with other, many other false gods. So not only did they just, they didn't just forsake God altogether, although they did really, in theory, but they allowed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be worshipped along with Baal, who they also worshipped, which to me, probably worse than if you had just turned your back on God altogether and went after something else. But they didn't do that. So this being God's chosen people, he is not going to allow this to continue. And they find themselves in a drought. They find themselves actually in a place where this thing, this drought, is getting down to life and death. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 12. Let's back up. You'll get the, this is where Elijah finds the lady, the widow woman. She's gathering sticks. Verse 10, it says, And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water and a vessel that I may drink. He has left the brook Cherith because it has dried up for drought. Almost a three-year span has taken place. He went, goes down to this widow woman's house, finds her. She's gathering sticks. Says, hey, get me a little bit of water so I can drink. 
So she did, verse 11, and as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So the children of Israel at this point with this lady and this, this, her boy had got to the place where the drought was so bad that she had just a little bit of meal, she had just a little bit of water, and she had told the prophet that he, she was going to go in, make this cake for her and her son. They was going to eat it, and then they were not going to have any. There was nobody else she could go to. There was no store or market that she could go buy from. There was no meal or flour or, or oil that she could borrow from a neighbor. There was no family member. You know, anybody, you think about in situations of life, if you really need something, you might have one friend or two that you could call upon. I feel like I do. I've got a couple of friends that I could really call upon outside the church is what I'm talking about, that they would do anything for me. If I needed them, they'd be there. Okay? You don't have many, but you got a couple. I feel like there's several folks inside the church or any of the church that we could call on and that they would do to the best of their ability whatever they could do to help you if you needed help. But surely, if you ain't got either one of them, and some people don't go to church, and we understand that, surely you got family members, as long as you haven't burnt the bridges with them. You know, the thing about burning bridges with family members, do you ever really know if you burn them? Might be a smart thing to know. I need to sit down with mom and dad. Have I ever burned any bridges with them? Have I asked for a cup of sugar too much? You know what I'm saying? But surely you got a family member that would help you and that would do anything for you. And we understand that. And I think we all feel the same way here. But this, this lady, the children of Israel as a whole here, had got to the place where it was life and death. And we find in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 7 and 8 that God has this man Elijah. He has him positioned right where he wants him. And he has the message for the hour right when it is needed the most. He said, And as Ob Obadiah was in the way, Obadiah was Ahab's servant, but he was a godly man. He feared the Lord. Ahab had sent Obadiah out into the lands to try to find some water so they wouldn't have to kill the, uh, any more of the cattle or any more of the, the livestock. And as Obadiah was in the way, in verse 7, Behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face, and said, Art thou that, my lord Elijah? And Elijah, he answered him, I am. Go tell thy lord, behold, Elijah is here. So after three years of drought, and we're fixing to understand where we get that from, God tells Elijah to go present yourself to Ahab. Elijah sees Obadiah in the way as Obadiah is out looking for water according to Ahab's instruction and says, Go tell Ahab that Elijah is here. Elijah wants to see him. Israel's in a drought. So Elijah meets Ahab, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 16 through 40. And let's read these scriptures and let's see what happens. This is a little bit lengthy, but I think it'll be it and just a couple of points and then we'll pray. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, 
Ahab, this wicked king. Art thou he who troubleth Israel? Talking to Elijah, the prophet, man of God. And Elijah answered, and I'm going to put his name in there where it says he, just so you'll know. I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, Ahab, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, or the prophets, I believe it says in the New King James, of Ashtaroth, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire. Let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Interesting here that Elijah, the man of God, was able to tell the king what to do Gather all the prophets, gather all the people under Mount Carmel. Ahab went and done exactly what he said. It's also amazing, uh, uh, just a neat point to make mention of, that Elijah puts forth this, not a competition, but this proposition of let's answer the question. Let's get this thing settled. Because y'all are running around here, you're trying to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're worshiping Baal. You're worshiping all these other gods. You're doing all this stuff that the God, uh, our God, who, 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 who delivered Moses, who, who brought Abraham forth, who's making us a great nation, the, the God that has took care of you at every turn, at every whim, answered your every prayer, never left you nor forsook you. He says, let's see who's God. Let's put this thing to a test. And told them exactly how they do it. And they answered. I thought it was neat. They said, well, let's do it. It's well spoken. And Elijah, verse 25, said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullet for yourselves, dress it first for your many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullet which was given them, and they dressed it and called upon the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. Now, if my study tells me correctly, it was customary for the children of Israel to offer a morning and an evening sacrifice. If I've got that right, they offered a morning and evening sacrifice. So it's interesting here that Elijah tells those prophets of Baal to offer a sacrifice that morning. So this is what's going on the most part of the day. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey, by or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud, cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances, till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. 
And he, Elijah, repaired the altar of the Lord, listen, that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, second sacrifice for the day, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done, listen, all these things at thy word. Somewhere in this story, Elijah has done got along with God. He's been talking to the Lord. The Lord's been talking to him probably more importantly. Amen. I like to talk to God, but I'm telling you what, every so often, every once in a while, God will get my undivided attention and he will speak to me. And when he does that, you know that it's God. You, there is no mistaking that it is God that has just now given you something or spoke something to your heart or into your spirit. And that's exactly what Elijah had done. And he says, I have done all these things at thy word. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. Listen to this. I never, never realized this until today. Consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood. We get that. And the stones. The fire didn't only cons consume the bullock, okay? Something that is perishable, burnable. And not only the wood, which we know just turns to ash, but consumed the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord he is the God. Of a miracle, God shows himself in his power to his people and all that were there. All of these people, except for who Ahab had brought in, these foreigners that had come in, they had intermarried, they weren't supposed to do that, Jezebel. Jezebel was probably there. But God shows himself and proves himself, listen, to his people once again that Time after time, after time that you have forsaken me, that you have went after other gods or strange gods and worshipped other gods and have put me to the side or put me on the back burner. Maybe it's because their, their wealth had got good and they, they were starting to inter, interact with this other country and these other pagan people and, and maybe they liked the way they fixed their house. Or maybe they liked the car they drove, so to speak, and they wanted to be a little bit more like them and they got their eyes and their focus off of who they were and who the Lord was, and they began to act like these other people. But he says, even though you've done all this, and even though you've 
literally, and he didn't say this, but you, you think of it as a conveyance. You've literally spit in my face. You've learned, literally turned your back on me. He says, I'm going to reach out to you one more time, and I'm going to show you who I am. Here's the message. Here's it, here, this is it. Don't get past this one thing. This is it. None of this story, and listen, nothing after in the Bible past this point would have happened if one thing that we read in this story had not taken place. 1 Kings 18 and verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. Listen. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken. Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken. Nothing after that point would have ever taken place if Elijah had not done that very thing first. Elijah looked over. He saw the shape his nation was in. He saw the way the king had led them. He looked over at the house of God. He looked over at the altar of God. He saw that it was broken down. But it was the altar of the God of Abraham and Isaac. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. Israel had forsaken this altar. Let's look for just a minute at three things. I got five, but two will be for a later message. Let's look at three things of what the purpose of this altar in this battle was. I call it a battle because that's exactly what it is. It's a story, but we don't give it the indication that it was just a fairy tale. This really happened. This was a battle between good and evil. Let's look at what the altar's purpose was in this battle and what it is for our own lives personally. The altar in this story, in this battle, and the altar in our lives serves, listen, number one, as a place of meeting. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 22 through 24, and I don't have these marked, and you have to forgive me for that, but I was doing some quick writing. Exodus 20 and 22 through 24, after Moses had received the Ten Commandments. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt, say, thou, shalt thou, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. But an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. Listen, in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. The altar that we set up in our lives, whether it is physically, if you have an altar that you have at your house, or you have a place that you go to in your house to pray, mine personally is my bedroom, beside my bed, just kneel down beside my bed. The altar God has invited us to, listen, is a place of meeting. We have the altar benches in this church. They are still here. They will remain here by the grace of God. But this is the place where God said in his word, the same God, listen, the same God that parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel when they were fleeing Egypt, that same God said, the altar is where I'll meet you. And in 2018, fixing to be 2019, 
That's 4,000, 5,000 years ago. Listen, the same God, the same word is saying that the altar is the place where I will meet you. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me. There's been times, times past, times of recent. When I, we've been in a service, when the preaching of the words went forth, maybe there was no preaching, maybe the Holy Spirit got into moving, and there was a, a, a drawing of the Spirit of God to come down to the altar. You know, why is it that people just don't stay in their pews and, and, and get a blessing? Well, some people do, and some people can't make it to the altar, and the Lord understands that. But listen, if you can just make an effort, if you can make an effort to get out of your pew and come down to where the altar is. Listen, it, just because it has green, green uh, 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 tapestry on it with a little bit of cushion with some brown wood that's been made probably 20 years ago, just because it's not 4,000 or 5,000 years old, that doesn't mean that God's not going to meet you here. Because, see, the altar is an altar. It doesn't have blood dripping off of it. It doesn't have burnt ashes under it. But listen, the altar is a place where God said, based upon what my son, Jesus Christ, did for you, the blood was shed. When you come to that altar, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but when you come to that altar, it's like that sacrifice is made afresh. And the Father looks down and sees the sacrifice that his son, listen, gave for you and gave for me. Here's the hang up. Here's the problem with us. Here's the problem with me. Sometimes when we need to come to the altar, we don't want to come to the altar because we don't feel like coming to the altar. And the reason we don't feel like coming to the altar is because we've got our focus off of the sacrifice. We've got our focus upon ourselves, upon our situations, upon our problems. And somehow, in, in, the, in the subconsciousness of it all, we try to think that we have to muster up to a level where we're worthy to come down to an altar and call upon the name of the Lord. That is not what God intended. He is calling Israel here. He is calling through Elijah, the prophet, Israel who is backslid. He is calling them. He said, bring all the children of Israel to Mount Carmel. He says, we're going to settle this thing today. He says, you build you an altar. You put the bullock on it. Don't put no fire under it. He says, I'm going to build me an altar, repair my altar, and build an altar out of 12 stones. He said, and I'm not going to put anything under it. He says, and the God that answers by fire will settle that he is a God. What you find in this story when Elijah's sacrifice was consumed, the children of Israel said, uh, he's the God. The Lord is the God. Were they worthy enough to come to the altar? Were they worthy enough to enter? Listen, none of us will ever be worthy enough of our own merit, of our own working ourselves up into a place where, oh, now I can, it's not, it's not going to happen. Listen, God will let you get to a place where you're so sick of your circumstance or you're so sick of yourself or your situation or whatever it is that's going on with you when you will have no choice but to find yourself, listen, an altar of prayer and call upon the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and pray just like Elijah did, Lord, hear my prayer. And when he, when he does that, listen, he looks down. He sees the sacrifice of his son because we're coming in whose name? In the name of Jesus. About 4 o'clock this afternoon, 
I, we got back from Rome and we'd went down there. We was going to Olive Garden to eat. That ain't got nothing to do with nothing. You can't get in any place like that on Sunday afternoon. And and that's why I don't like to go out to eat on Sunday. I just don't. I don't like to. You might want to go. I'll go with you. Uh, Roma Mia is probably the easiest place to get into, one of the best places, in, in my opinion, Sunday afternoon. But I just don't like to go out to eat after Sunday. I'll just be honest with you. My family may not amuse that, but you know it. It's just hard to get in the place. We drove around Olive Garden. We went to West Rome. We drove back, drove around Olive Garden. There's more people there at 2 o'clock than was at 1 o'clock. So we ended up at a burger joint down the road, and it was great. <coughs> but we got done with eating lunch and, and got back home, and I had some things in my mind. You know how your mind is just going, thinking all the time. You know, Brother Kevin gets quiet, says, Tony, to tell you real quick, just let him alone. I've learned. <laughs> I should. No, I don't. I don't. Just, just let me alone. But I'm thinking. I'm stewing on some stuff. And I said, well, I'm going to go look over this message again. And hopefully Brother Henry will be there and be able to preach that message he's going to preach this morning. I said, that'll be great and fine to me. I know he wanted to. I said, I'm just in case. I'm just going to go look over this message. And I had got so troubled in my spirit at 4 o'clock this afternoon. I began to read out of my chronological Bible the story. And I bowed my head and I began to pray. And the Lord said, why don't you just get on down a little lower onto the ground up there and make yourself an altar and call upon my name. And that's I just sunk right out of my chair. The Lord does that with me. He said, you just sink on down a little lower. Sunk on down out of my chair in my bedroom floor and I began to call upon the name of the Lord. And listen, when I made that altar, and I began to call on the name of the Lord. I said, Lord, I need you to meet me here. Listen, immediately he met me there. He was there. In any place we make an altar, any place we find ourselves, maybe it's you're going down the road, maybe you're on your job. You know, maybe it is you got running late for work, and you got to work, and, oh, Lord, you hadn't prayed, you hadn't prayed for your family, you hadn't prayed protection over them, you hadn't prayed for yourself, you hadn't prayed for wisdom. This is all things I do every day, every morning, praying for wisdom, praying for protection, praying for my department, praying for my family, praying just protection, 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 because I'm a policeman, and we're, by nature, protection for everybody. Just you know, I mean, it's just a dangerous world in which we live, and that's my skewed vision, but I see too much and know too much. You just make an altar wherever you're at. Listen, it'll be all right. And God's going to hear you pray when you pray. He says in this verse, he says, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. If we'll make an effort, the same God that moved back then will move for us. Listen, two more things. I'm going to quit. The altar is a place of worship. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, he was being tempted by Satan. He had put him up on a pinnacle, I think the New King James says, but a very high place here in the King James. And he says, if you'll bow down and worship me, he says, I'll give you all these kingdoms that you can see. And Jesus says, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt listen, worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The altar is a place, listen secondly, of worship for us. What does worship mean? Worship in the Hebrew meaning is shahai, is the Hebrew word, but it simply means in one translation of that Hebrew meaning is to prostrate oneself. 
put oneself flat upon the ground. One definition or one uh, uh, sub-definition of the, of the word is to kiss the ground or the feet of the one to be worshipped. To pay or show honor or to pay homage to one in religious fashion. Webster's Dictionary defines it like this. A reverent love and devotion to a deity. Ceremonies, prayers, or other religious duties to the deity by which love is expressed. Jesus says, told Satan that it was written, that it is written. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, thou shalt only worship him. You shall worship him and he is the only one that you should worship. We talked about earlier about how things that can attract our attention can get us off focus. But listen, I'm convinced that in our lives there's always something, listen, that's going to have the forefront of us, the forefront, listen, of our focus, of our passion, and of our worship. But the Lord said here in Matthew chapter 4, he says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So what it's telling us to do when we look at this is the altar is a place of worship. We're coming to the altar. Listen, we're prostrating ourselves. We're putting ourselves in a place of humble obedience to the Lord. We're calling upon the Lord's name, and we're exacting or giving love to him by, by, by reverencing him and giving him that honor or that homage that is due to the Lord. When we come to the altar, we do all three. The altar is a place of sacrifice, number three. Exodus chapter 29, verse 36 and 37. Forgive me for not having a mark. And thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering for atonement. This is talking to the priests according to their duties in the temple. And thou shalt cleanse the altar when thou hast made an atonement for it and anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever, listen, toucheth the altar shall be holy. Verses 38 and 39. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year day by day continually, the one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening, giving us understanding of the, um, the morning and evening sacrifice that we read in the story. Verses 42 through 46. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where, listen, I will meet you to speak there unto thee, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory, and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. The altar is to be a place of sacrifice. Back what got this whole altar started is back in the old days, and we understand, as Brother Brian said the other day, and he was right on the money, when uh, uh, skins, I believe it was Brother Brian, it might have been Brother Eric, had to be shed for the blood that had to be uh, uh, um, uh, shed in order for Adam and Eve to be covered up from their nakedness after they found out 
that they were naked, we see that to cover that sin of disobedience, to cover that act that they had committed, something had to die, blood had to be shed. And so what God institutes here is a, uh, a system of uh, sacrificial giving or sacrificial offering where something dies and blood has to be shed in order for an atonement to be made. But what it says here for us and what we take away from this is when the altar is built and when they put the sacrifice upon the altar and he says the Lord I will sanctify the, I will sanctify uh, the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar I'll sanctify both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office and listen to what he says in verse 45 and 6 again I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. Not only is the altar a place of meeting, not only is the altar a place where we worship and we pay honor to the Lord, but an altar is also a place of sacrifice when, as I said earlier, when we come to the altar, it's not that we have to come and we have to kill a sheep or kill a goat or kill a a, a, a ram or a cow or anything like that but when we come to this altar listen God is reminded of the sacrifice that his son made for us and when we come in the name of his son Jesus Christ upon what he did on Calvary that is when he chooses to meet us there he says if they'll come and if they'll call upon my name and if they'll call upon my name in the name of my son he says I will meet them there he says I will accept their worship and I will accept the sacrifice. And here he says in the Old Testament, he promises to let us know that he will be our God. We look at the altar this evening, I've already said it. We don't see the blood stains. We don't see the burnt ashes. But it's the place that God said that he would meet us. What, what am I trying to tell us this evening, just as I close here? And it's been long and I apologize. What am I trying to tell us? <clears throat> In the beginning, if we as the church and if we listen as individual Christian people would take upon ourselves the responsibility of returning back to an altar of prayer and taking the time, listen, to pray and to call upon the Lord, as our brother said in his testimony the other night, listen, to seek his face. It tells us in the Old Testament if we who are called by his name, would seek his face, would turn from our wicked ways. Just be honest with God, Brother Messer said one time. Come to the altar. Prostrate ourselves before the Lord, showing that reverence, showing that submission, saying, God, I come to you in the only name in which I can come, Jesus Christ, and Lord, I am here to pay honor and reverence and respect to you. And as we do that, listen, God honors that. He sees that sacrifice that he, his son made. He sees that blood that was shed on Calvary upon our lives and upon our hearts. And listen, then it's time to get down and get down to business with the Lord. And listen, when we do that, he'll do that for us. Would you stand this evening, please? I'm convinced.